Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. You might have caught the news last week that Canada Land contributor, reporter Brandy Morin, was arrested for committing journalism. It made international headlines. Here's The Guardian. Indigenous reporter fears more journalists will be targeted after arrest as police cleared Canada camp. Globe and Mail wrote that the arrest of Indigenous journalist Brandy Morin chills press freedom in Canada yet again. And the Edmonton Journal reported, Indigenous reporters' charge must be dropped, says Amnesty International and press freedom organizations. Like any reporter, Brandy Marin does not want to be the story herself. Her arrest does require attention. But what was she covering when she was arrested? Brandy Marin was arrested while reporting at a homeless encampment in the frigid downtown streets of Edmonton, Alberta. She just happened to be there when the cops showed up to dismantle the encampment. Again. This was in minus 30 temperatures, lethal winter. And as I said, it was not the first time, nor the only place. We have seen these types of encampments all across the country. We are seeing them. They're just a fact of life now. 
it's become a way of life to the point where the people who live like this have their own culture, their own rituals, their own karaoke. Good evening, 190. 190 is the street address for Nadinawimak, Winnipeg's newest and only indigenous-led homeless shelter. It's karaoke night, a monthly feature offered when the temperatures drive more people indoors. Tent cities are no longer scattered in city parks, behind trees, in river valleys, in industrial areas. They are right under our nose, and they've become normal. But life within these communities, while it's happening right in front of us, well, it's not something that most of us really know much about. Our editor-in-chief, Karen Pugliese, recently caught up with Brandy Morin and another journalist, Kathleen Martins of APTN. Now, both Brandy and Kathleen have been copiously and rigorously documenting life in these tent cities. Today, they are going to take you there, and they're going to talk with Karen about what their reporting has revealed and, in the case of Brandy, how that reporting ended up deemed illegal. Wait for it. This episode is brought to you by Kyle Rathgaber, Isabel Holper, Rowan Burge, William Cauley, Melissa Keene, Jeremy Ladan, Rachel Stoneham, and Tony. Greetings and salutations. I'm Tony, a business analyst from Edmonton, Alberta, and I support Canada Land because I often hear takes that I don't necessarily agree with, and I need more of that in my life. Brandy, like you were out covering the tent cities in Edmonton, but when you were working with me at APTN back in 2015, you were one of the first reporters I ever saw go out and cover tent cities, but they weren't out in the public then. They were like in the forest. Some of Edmonton's homeless sleep on the street. In back alleys are dumpsters. Some set up home in wooded areas in and around the inner city and along the river valley. Our guide, Warren Steinhauer, works with some of the people living in tent cities. He brings them water, food, and moral support. There's five of them that are living in here in three different camping areas. And they came in. Shelly lives in a tent here with her boyfriend, Rick. They pick bottles, trash, and hustle to survive. Both are addicted to meth and seem to be comfortable living here. Shelly sometimes turns tricks to make quick cash. However, she's always in survival mode. Lately, she's been hearing rumors of women getting raped in their tent. It's a tent. It's not like you're living in a brick house. Someone can always come over with a f- a little tiny nut and un- really quietly, and then like they can just dunk you in the head and you're done. You're done. Like on that tape, Brandy, you're walking down kind of a bike path, and you turn off, and then you kind of go down this wooded path. And you're, you're stepping over logs and stuff and hidden in this forest, in this green space in the city, is this tent city. You're right. They were hidden and people didn't really seem to care about the situation. But honestly, like since then, every 
city that I've traveled to around North America, there are tent cities everywhere. We've had them in Toronto, too. I go back to Ottawa Gatineau frequently, and there's some there. When did you guys start to see this change? Well, I know in BC, they are, they, I think they sort of led the country in homelessness in terms of their weather, right? I know I lived there for about six months in 2018, and uh, I had a dog at the time, and we'd walk a lot. And the dog was always going into the bush, and then people would come out of the bush. And I'd be thinking, I'm sorry, we didn't know you were there. They're like, that's okay. If I'm not here, I'm in my car. Have a look. You know, I was it was in the evening, but you're always a reporter, I guess. So the guy showed me that this whole street, people were living in, sleeping at least in cars or RVs or vans, or on the ground. And and there, I I remember taking a driving to Vancouver. I was down in in southern BC, and I drove to Vancouver, took a ferry over to the island, and I went to a huge tent city, that was really uh, well organized. And like with a cook tent and, and a water station. And it was it was the biggest one I've ever seen. It was like a campground. You know, it had like like almost roads, pathways at least. I hadn't seen anything like that in Winnipeg up to that time. I, I know people were living on the riverbanks in Winnipeg. And also there were, they were high barrier shelters in Winnipeg at that time, meaning you couldn't be admitted if you were intoxicated or, or high. And so that left you vulnerable and on the street. Now we've got four shelters, two are low barrier. Kathleen, you know, we were working at APTN and uh, there's a, a park beside APTN. It's called uh, the Air Canada Park. It, it's not really a park, though. It's more like a green space, right? Like it's half a block. And I think back when I worked there, you'd sometimes see a couple of people sitting in the park, maybe day drinking, maybe a kid's selling pot. Pot was still illegal. But it felt pretty safe. And that's all changed. Mm -hmm. It became uh, a place for some pretty shocking daytime violence. And the violence there, my co-workers, because we're, we're right next door, the ones who worked in the office during the pandemic, have video and photos of people with machetes and assaults in progress. So it became a very violent place very quickly in the pandemic when there was nobody else downtown. You felt extremely vulnerable walking through there. And we worried about the people in the camps and also our colleagues who were working downtown every day. And it was a very different take on homelessness. We were wondering all of a sudden, who were these people? Why were they there? Was this violence to protect themselves? Was it drug-induced? Was it a combination? Mm -hmm. I just wanted to note that when I was in Winnipeg about a year ago, I spent a little bit of time there and I was actually stunned by the multi-generations of families that were there and residential school survivors and fathers being out there every day to look over their daughters that were out on the street and, and making sure that they're going to be okay. So both of you also encounter a lot of volunteers out on the streets. And these are people, just regular people, who are stepping in to fill up gaps and services. They bring food, they bring clothing. And Kathleen, in your podcast, Our Relatives, you catch up with one of these groups and they meet a woman named Teresa in Air Canada Park. Teresa's a regular at Air Canada Park. Just by pure coincidence, it happened to be her birthday earlier that week. Hello! We're going to sing happy birthday to Teresa then have some cake! <laughs> happy birthday to us! Happy birthday to us! Happy birthday to Teresa. Happy birthday to 
You know, you have um, regulars, you have people who aren't usually there, but come because they see there's food, they see the friendliness. It was a beautiful bit of humanity in what is oftentimes just horrible news stories, like, like we're seeing in Edmonton and police raids and things like that. In Manitoba, there's long been the statistic that a child a day gets seized by child welfare services and put into foster care. And uh, Kathleen, that's feeding the homeless crisis too, and they're just kids that are being put out in the street at 18. Absolutely. That's their the, this point-in-time homeless survey that was done in 2022. I reference it liberally in, my, in the podcast I did on homelessness because it has incredible context and information. More than 65% of the, uh, the homeless uh, population that the volunteers connected with when they found 1,250 people homeless in summer of 2022, were in 65% identified as being Indigenous. Most were First Nations. And almost all of them said they first became homeless when they aged out of foster care. And that is at 18. Basically, here's your stuff in a garbage bag and, and good luck. And so they, where are they going to go? They, they hit the shelter system. Or the prison system. Yeah, and that's absolutely true. I mean, like you're, you're 18, you show up with a garbage bag trying to rent a place. If you've got any pocket money at all, like nobody's renting to you. Brandy, you would talk to somebody when you were going around uh, doing this night trip and you're following Judith who works for Bear Claw and she's kind of somebody who goes out and passes out water and stuff. She introduced you to a couple of people who were in tents. There was a couple of sisters and one of the sisters like had a place, but she was talking just about how hard it is to find an apartment anyway. How are we supposed to find housing? It took me eight, nine months, and I'm not on the street. And I'm still looking. Yeah, and my boyfriend looking. is still looking. looking. And so, we're like, uh, I found a place. It took me like one year to find an apartment because everybody wants... Um, yeah, someone that's accept, working um, and social assistance. Yeah, exactly. And references. So there's and, a lot of red tape, in I, other words. Yeah, that's yeah. all BS. And like, and then there's so many apartments open. And then why isn't anybody yeah. have a place to live? It's not this as is, easy as no, they make it out to exactly. be. Exactly. Yeah. There's a lot of red tape. We know, like I think across the board, that you know there is a lack of safe, affordable, secure, suitable housing. And that's why, you know, uh, the mayor, the city of Edmonton, you know, declared a state of emergency in the hopes of, you know, getting some resources from other jurisdictions to help address, you know, these, these issues. It was like minus 40. And these two sisters, along with one of the girl's boyfriends, were uh, huddled inside this small tent and they opened the door and there was just like this cloud of smoke that came out because they were smoking cigarettes in there and just like huddled together and keeping warm. There's a lot of talk about housing and like it's usually focused on the middle class and millennials and, you know, people not being able to afford housing. But clearly, you know, something missing in this conversation is how difficult it is to get housing, you know, when you are on welfare, as you know, we heard in that clip. But the other thing that you brought up too, and we brought it up a bit earlier, is while all this is going on, there's also a problem with meth coming into especially First Nations communities, not only First Nations communities. But I was looking back at when 
First Nations started to declare states of emergency. And it goes back to 2017 was, I think, the first ones that I saw specifically on the math problem. Yeah, it's every other month now that a new First Nation across the country is uh, declaring a state of emergency, begging the federal government for resources to help address this crisis. And, you know, it's indicative of the overflowing amount of First Nations, Indigenous people that we're seeing infiltrating, you know, urban areas because, you know, the, their home communities don't have the resources. I mean, already lacking excessively the funding to house their people, let alone address these other crises such as this drug and overdose crisis, right? So we're seeing this influx in the urban centers. Yeah, the drugs seem to have just thrown a spotlight on the lack of everything on a First Nation, right? I know I talked to people on, on the streets of Winnipeg who moved because the mold in the house was making their children sick. So they had to come to Winnipeg. They couldn't get a place. Those are already crises on First Nations. And then the drugs hit. And you're living in a house with someone who's, you know, doing drugs. You have no way to help them. You have nowhere to escape from that as well. And when they come to the city, they just join a long queue of others who need a place to stay. And we've got some of these SROs, single room occupancy hotels still. I know the downtown east side does, where you have you can get a room for 600 bucks a month, no bathroom, uh, no heat. The showers weren't working one day when I went in with a group of advocates. And you've got, it's the room is very, very small. You can fit a lawn chair in there, a single bed. And, and your clothes. And I know the other day, some of the advocates went back to that hotel. The advocates went last week because it, or week before, it was really cold in Winnipeg again. And they went and checked. And one guy told her, we're just huddling together in a room, body heat, so that we don't, you know, expire in the night. There's no heat in here. And yet it stays operating because there are no beds and shelters for these folks. There's 700 shelter beds on any given night in Winnipeg available through four shelters, and they're almost always full. Yeah, there are people that don't want to access the shelters. They don't feel safe. They are riddled with lice and unsanitary. Same in Winnipeg. A woman lived in a bus shelter for three months in a Winnipeg winter because she was sexually assaulted at a, at a homeless shelter. Brandy, you were in one of the tent cities where you spent a lot of time. Now, back in December... There was an order to go and evacuate these tent cities, but there was an, actually an injunction put in where some rights groups came and said, you can't just throw the people out in the street if there's no shelters for them to go. And January 10th, the courts said to the police that they could go ahead and clear eight camps that they'd identified as high risk. And by high risk, they meant it was either harmful to the people living there, there could be fires, or there could be violence. You know, maybe they were getting in the way of housed people in the communities that weren't very happy that they were there, but they were going to go clear them. So they start clearing them. And in one of those communities, you met somebody who's calling, I guess his nickname is Big Man. As everybody would say, wake up! Wake up! Wake up! Wake up! Wake up! You guys are a First Nation. This land was never for sale. It was for our our flourishness and to be better. Let's get it back and we're not taking it from you. We're asking you, 
you live alongside of it, we're the ones that were here first. Give us the right to be admired by you people knowing that there's still natives here. Right. Ones that are willing to live, wanting to be somebody and take people with us. So I say, wake up! Wake, wake up! up! The thing that struck me about him compared to your 2015 piece that we talked about earlier, where people were hidden and the police just used to move them along very quietly. This is somebody who's very vocal, advocating for himself and really standing up for himself. Can you tell me who he is and like just about him? Yeah, so Big Man had moved to that city lot there along Roland Road about six months prior to his encampment being dismantled. And he he's Cree Métis, he's 51 years old. He, you know, struggled in the prison system for a lot of years. And before that, you know, was in the child welfare system his tent is shaped like a teepee, right? So they would have these sharing circles in there, or he'd be singing in Cree or playing guitar in there or burning, you know, sage. And there was a real sense of community. And Brandy, for this community, Big Man actually becomes the de facto leader of that community. We see him out speaking for the community quite a bit. And he's actually the one when police come in that does all the negotiations on behalf of the people living there. For one second, but I want you guys to know that the fight ain't done yet. We're still being what we are. They are the law, the police officers of the law, and if they feel that they're unsafe, why don't we give them what they want? Let's see, because we were unsafe when they started pulling up, weren't we? We felt unsafe. We felt like we were about to have a threat. So let's abolish that right now and let's meet them halfway. They didn't meet us, we met them, and now they're meeting us. So we're, we're kind-hearted, we're, we're respectful, aren't we? Yes, we are. But still stand your ground inside. Because I might need you again. Until then, let's give him what he wants. It's about Edmonton's property, I guess. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand down. I don't know. You guys want to go have coffee? I'll take everybody if I have to. I don't. I work hard. I'll do my best for you. But before you go, though, can you just tell me what are they negotiating there, Brandy? So the police had uh, come in, and big man got in there, and he said, "Okay, you know, we'll work with you. You can." take this stuff and you can take, you know, this, this tent, no one's living in here. And, and so they worked that out. So they took out, you know, a few structures that had a bunch of, you know, random bicycle parts piled up and, you know, bags of trash and other things, um, and then left that day. So Brandy, everything seems to be peaceful at that moment. And that all changes later in the day. Something happens that really upsets people in the camp and it all gets captured on cell phones and video and cell phones and video by people in the camp. So this involves a volunteer named Two Guns, and he's an advocate uh, related to the camp. He's been going in there to visit, and he's taping um, his own conversation with a police officer. Down the road in the background, you can see a second police officer having a conversation with a woman. And for apparently no reason, like nothing you can see on tape, he just suddenly pushes that woman into a snowbank. And that woman happens to be Two Guns' wife. So Two Guns walks down the street, confronts that officer, and puts his hand on him. And that's when the police take him down. So why is he assaulting me? Why? Why? Let go of him! 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 Let go of
You're under arrest. Oh, you're under arrest. You're hurting me, man. Can't 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 he can't fucking breathe. He can't fucking breathe. You're on his neck, bro. He's off his fucking neck right now. He can't off his neck. Well, the interesting thing about this, too, is that um, that police officer, now two guns, said that he punched him, that, that the officer punched two guns, um, and then this takedown happened with multiple officers, you know, piling on him. But that officer particularly was charged with assault. On a previous occasion with an inmate, that was stayed in 2022. The, the charges were stayed. That moment you're saying like that video went viral. Like it, it certainly upset people in camp. Like people in the camp are like crowding around as this arrest happens and two guns gets pushed to the ground. People are screaming at a female police officer, like, you're a woman, how could you let this happen? Uh, somebody starts praying, like, it just mayhem. And yeah, that gets put on social media. I think that maybe because they were under scrutiny for these videos and that they had a deadline to meet. You know, they, they were instructed with taking down these eight encampments that were labeled high risk. And this was the last one. They just wanted to get it done, I guess. Just from what you're saying, you know, that the picture it's painting is, is it brings to mind a couple of things, just as we're chatting here, that, you know, Edmonton police seem almost like they want, thought the camps, the people in the camps would just comply and, and not re- understanding the desperation. They don't have anywhere to go. This is all of their goods, their worldly goods. And also, do they have an Indigenous liaison? When I was filming the takedown of this encampment, you know, uh, some of the words that the officer used to inform them what was going to happen, they said, you know, you can leave peacefully or you're going to be forcibly removed. I can listen, but I'm going to tell you this one time. The option is this. You can leave peacefully or you will be forcibly removed. If you do not leave... Your campments will be cleaned up no matter what, and you could be arrested for obstruction. Do you understand? Do you see the look in my eye, ma'am? Do you understand? 51 years old, had enough of you people. Done a lot for you guys. Stood my ground and tried to make myself a man. Now you gotta worry. You can take it or leave it, but this is happening. Eagle feathers up, boys. Oh my gosh. And immediately, as an indigenous person who's familiar with the history of this country and, 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 our nations being forcibly removed to make way or to get out of the way. Mm-hmm. Or to I, go to residential school. Yeah, or, or anything, or to make, you know, to, to put our people onto reservations and try to get rid of the problem, so to speak. And so I noticed that, and I don't think the average person would understand those, you know, those complexities in these situations, right? And A hundred percent. All of a sudden, it's not about, hey, you got to move because this camp isn't safe. It's about, this is my land. It was my land before you got here, right? We're having a whole other conversation. Absolutely, yeah. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity 
and they are doing cutting edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away, but often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. So after they get evicted, Brandy, you had talked to people, and one of those people was Prissa. So where are you from, Prissa? Edmonton, uh, Saskatchewan. You're from Saskatchewan? How long have you been out here? Like 16, 17, when I, and I'm 46 now. How long have you been out on the streets, though? Oh, about 15 and you've yeah. been in mostly Edmonton? Oh yeah, only Edmonton. And what has been your experience? I understand that your your encampment was taken apart. Oh yeah, like they wouldn't even they wouldn't even let me take a bigger clothes or not even a blanket or any like you know, they wouldn't uh, let me take my, my anything. They wouldn't let me take anything out of the out of the camp. And they just threw it all away? Yeah, like they cut up the tents and threw them in the, in the back of the truck and yeah, I had no blankets, no clothes, nothing. Yeah, and so how long ago was it that that happened to you then, that they took oh, your this stuff? just like last month. And so what have you yeah, been like, doing? Oh, just staying in the tarp. In the tarp? tarp? And blankets. Is uh, it over here? Later. Oh my gosh. Behind that, that green bin. Are you staying in there at yeah. this weather? Yeah. I got skidoo pants on too now, so like that, the skidoo pants really help a lot. So what do you think about what the city did? What do you have to it's say? It's terrible. Like, I don't understand. Like, where do they expect us to go when they tell us to leave? Like, you know, of course we're, we're going to stay. They were just going to wait until they leave and, you know, we're going to go right back to the same spot. Well, the province, um, have nowhere to go. Like, you know um, what the premier is saying a lot of the time? She's saying these people are dangerous. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm sure there is some, but not all. You're human beings, yeah, huh? Yeah, like, you know, I'm just I'm here to survive. I'm trying to get by, you know, like I'm not even on welfare. You know, they cut me off because I don't have a mailing address. Mm. And little did I know that I could use the Bissell address. I just want to say it's like a super cold night. It was minus 40. You're out there in the dark. I think she's just been given new stuff, like a new hat and a new scarf. 
But her her stuff was thrown out? Her stuff had been thrown out. So when they dismantle the encampments, they throw all of their belongings into the trash. Now before, they would give them an opportunity to grab a few things. But now that there is this, you know, push to get rid of every single encampment in Edmonton now, and that the city has made encampments illegal. She's sleeping under a tarp, like it's not even a closed-in space. I know. With her boyfriend, and they huddle together, and they have these little candles, and they'll light these little candles there under this tarp uh, to stay warm. I was stunned. I was stunned that human beings can even survive under these circumstances. Like, when you're hearing, she's just like, oh, my tarp's just over there behind that bin over there. It's a garbage bin. And there was a row of tents and tarps all around and beside her. One of the reasons that the police are being ordered to clear these tent cities is because they say they're not safe. And it's true. I think in Edmonton, there were two people who had to be hospitalized because their tents caught fire. Um, There have been deaths in the tents of people freezing to death. But if you clear the tents and take away everything that they have to keep them warm and then leave them out on the street, they are not any safer. They're actually worse off. Like, I mean, this is the logic that I, I can't get past. Well, here's the thing. You know, just about a week and a half ago, the province and the chief of uh, city police held a press conference to announce that they had established a multi-million dollar processing center to deal with the people that were being displaced by these encampments. And basically, they had a room for up to 30 temporary beds. So, I mean, I think it's a Band-Aid solution. You know, I, and I think one of the things, too, something that's becoming part of the new normal is that they are dying out there. And Kathleen, one of the places that you went is this uh, kind of like back alleyway downtown in Winnipeg. There's Portage in Maine. It's kind of like your, I guess, your main drag in the in Winnipeg. And there's this back alley there called Hope Alley. Yeah, it's really nothing. Like you can't drive on it. Mm-hmm. It it's like a narrow, concrete laneway between two major buildings. But if you walk through there, it it leads to all the homeless shelters. There's a fellow who was homeless, uh, really not the usual kind of homeless person. He lost his job when he was 55. He sold advertising. He was making six figures. He said he was laid off at 55, and he couldn't handle it. He went and lived in a derelict car because he was too proud to go to a homeless shelter. Uh, He had a bag of all of his nice clothes, nice leather shoes, and uh, snow regularly landed on him in the morning. He'd wake up and everything would be frozen, his nose, his toes, his fingers, as it would come through this shattered window and uh, sunroof of this uh, vehicle that he lived in for uh, 14 months. And he'd go to soup kitchens, uh, he'd dumpster dive for food, but he met people on the street. He told me he tried three or four times to uh, die by suicide, He went to emergency rooms. He was turned away, he believes, because he was homeless. And he said, I'm a white guy, and I couldn't get the service I needed because I was homeless. I hadn't heard that element before, you know, in terms of the stories we cover. So he, he jumped off a bridge in Winnipeg, and he survived. 
Uh, he tried a number of ways, and he was he, he is still alive. And because of that, he realized that he had a purpose, a bigger purpose. And so he fundraised for a plaque, and it's a small plaque on the wall there. It says Hope Alley. He, uh, in his own words, harassed the city councillor for money to put in flower boxes and wooden benches. Um, in my times downtown interviewing people, they're always sitting there because a little bit of little ray of sunshine seems to always just hit square there, even though the other buildings block it out. And so they have this annual ceremony where they read out the names of everyone who's died in that year who were on the street. And it was extremely moving. I've been doing this for five years. The yearly memorial to remember all our relatives who've passed. Carla Stevens, Carmen Peachy, Dave Brown, and everyone else that we missed. So, Brandy, we couldn't leave this conversation without talking about the fact that that uh, happened and you were arrested. So you were inside the tent. The police came to move in. Yellow tape was put up and you were inside the zone. You were filming on your cell phone. And when the police officers came up, told you to leave, you identified yourself as a reporter, stated that you had a right to be there. It looked like they were shoving you and then ultimately they, they arrested you. I need to say before we go on that I, I do sit on the board of Canadian Journalists for Free Expression and the Canadian Association of Journalists. And so I'm on, on one hand an advocate for press freedom, so I'm not entirely neutral in this situation. But I had to ask you for an update on where your case is at and what's happening with you. My lawyer is going to show up and set a court date for a couple of uh, weeks after I was fingerprinted and had my mugshot taken. I'm praying for the charges to be dropped. It's been pretty stressful because I've been inhibited from uh, being able to really follow this story as I normally uh, would uh, because I've been dealing uh, and distracted, right, with, with facing criminal charges. And so I, I just, I'm trying not to think too far ahead because I'll be, just be a little bit overwhelmed if I, to think about the possibility of being, you know, having a criminal record. So just taking it uh, step by step. That is your Canada Land podcast. Listen, if you value this podcast, if you value the work that we do here, the reporting from my colleagues, if you've heard me say this and just ignored it, no, don't. Uh, the only way we're going to have journalism in Canada is if you support it. We really do need it. It's the whole model here. We rely on listeners to pay for our work. As a supporter, we just want to shower you in great stuff. We give you premium access to our shows ad-free, early releases and bonus content that other people do not get, our exclusive newsletter, discounts on our merchandise, invites and tickets to our live and virtual events, 
But the reason why thousands of people are, are keeping the lights on in here is because they want to be a part of the solution to Canada's journalism crisis. When you support Canada Land, you make it possible for everybody else to get our stuff for free. Come join us right now. Click on the link in the show notes or go to canadaland.com slash join. You can email me at jesse at canadaland.com. I read them all. Our website is canadaland.com. You can sign up for our newsletter there. This episode was brought to you by our editor-in-chief, Karen Puglese. Our senior producer is Bruce Thorson. Additional production and editing from Tristan Capicione. Our managing editor is Annette Ejofor. I'm your host, Jesse Brown. Our theme music is by SoCult. Syndication is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. You can listen to Canada Land ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada Land, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures, and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.